What's up, Ding Dongs? This is a podcast. It's called Side Talks. I'm Rachel Morgan. I'm Corey Kraft. Hey, what's your favorite Stevie Nicks song? I was thinking about this on my way over. I think that I'll just go ahead and tell y'all. I think Gypsy is brilliant. Yeah, I guess a, that's a no. Fleetwood Mac song, but I look at it as a Stevie Nicks song because she's so it's it's really hers. You that, know? I mean, that's such an earworm. It's kind of hard to disagree. Yeah, with it's that. a great song. Yeah, it really is a great song. And look, I I you know I know the singles, but I'm not really conversant in Fleetwood oh, Mac. Really? I'm not. Yeah, that's surprising. You should get you should get there because I've it's worth to, it. It's worth I, it. I listened to. Can like, we get a little gypsy right now? That's what I'm. That's what uh, I'm getting. At. Listen to Rumors and Tusk, and that's pretty much it. Well, Rumors is an incredible album. Yeah, of course. No, of course. Um, and I like Tusk a lot. I know that's a yeah, little it's more a great divisive. Song. It's not. A, it's not a Stevie Nicks song. I mean, it's no. really she doesn't own that one. But what about you, Brad? Do you have a favorite Stevie Nicks? Maybe Dreams. Ooh, Dreams is good. Yeah, it's a it's a great retort too. You know, it's like fuck you, Lindsay, and and <laughs> yeah. it's so cutting because he he does. You can go your own way, and it's like very, you know, eighth grade dude, smart dude, don't get me wrong, musician dude, but still like eighth grade dude, and then here comes Stevie with this really, really cutting retort. Love it. What, She's the best. What nobody could see, because you're listening to this podcast, is that Brad just pounded a bottle of cranberry juice while listening, while oh, mentioning yeah. dreams, it's true on a skateboard. Um, on a skateboard, so it's true. Uh, Man, uh, we were thirsty for some shit at that point, and and the world, you know, just thirsty for did, some when content. Did that when that was got, that during the pandemic? It was, was in that, the height of it. Otherwise, we would never have seen that video. Yeah, I think that's true. It, I mean, it's just nuts that that one is wild as it did. I'm like, okay, I get it. Anyway, <laughs> this is the Stevie Nicks podcast. Uh, I should really do more research if I'm going to do this. Side but. talks. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> What's this shit? Oh boy. There it is. Just like Stevie Nicks' voice. That's right. So listen, I've got one for you. I do not think you're going to get this one. Oh. I really don't. Okay. All right. So get ready, y'all, because I think I might have one for him. All right. And I watched this whole thing. I watched it in the background. It's not good. That's hence the, the decision to put this on What's the Shit. Okay. But I did see all of it. So I'm coming to you with a little bit of a different approach today. It's not so much a, hey, I just grabbed the scene. I caught the scene at an, at an, in the middle of a workout or something like that. I'm actually just going to bring you a, a, a more of an overview. Well, lay it on me. So here's what I can tell you. There's a lot of scenes that take place, and this is a very uh, much a a staple in this film at a Piggly Wiggly. What? And there are shots of the Piggly Wiggly that are like, isn't it funny that there's a Piggly Wiggly? It's definitely one of those um, from the North came down South to make a movie or making a movie about the South. And what's funny about it? Just the name Piggly Wiggly is funny. Oh, boy. That kind of thing. And it it comes up a lot. So it's it's a couple of people who work at at a... Piggly Wiggly grocery store, three in particular that kind of take the lead in this film. Okay. Um, one of them has a, one of them is, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, and I wasn't paying close attention, it's more like a assistant manager type, um, but maybe just an employee. And he has a big crush on one of the young women who is a cashier. Is this an, a woman who is older than him? No. Okay. So they're of the same age. And this film's got some years on it, too. I'll let you know that. Um, is this Topher Grace? It is. This is Win a Date with Tad Hamilton. Holy shit. Hot damn, dude. How the fuck Holy did you not think I was going to get Win a Date with Tad fucking Hamilton, I had, y'all? I mean, what did I tell him? Piggly Wiggly? People work at a grocery store? That's pretty much it? It's about winning Crushing. a date with Tad Hamilton. Of course I'm going to get it. 
Okay. I don't even remember anything about this movie. Well, you won. So it's Topher I don't know Grace, what you won. Topher you Grace, won. Kate Bosworth yes, as the woman, right. and then Josh Dumal is like the is Tad Hamilton. Yes. And he's showing up, and he's like, "I'm handsome. I'm a celebrity." And she's like, "Swoon," and he's like, "Mer." I that's had a right. crush on her, and that's yeah, that's about all I got for well, a date with Tad Hamilton. This thing is way more dull than I thought it would be. Oh, it's, you, you it's, thought it would be more? Livelier? No, I thought it would be silly and kind of fun, and maybe maybe like a little. You know, I love. I'm a sucker for a good like sort of teen or young young adult kind of uh-huh. vibe, and it just doesn't do anything. I'm, I'm blaming it on the casting. I think I think Topher's a, a dud. I don't see. There's nothing with him in it that I really like. He kind of ruins films for me. Uh, I wouldn't say ruin, but he's never really found the role that he needs. Oh, to... that's what we're gonna call it. Yeah, I'm gonna call I... it. You suck. Okay. Well, fair enough. Um, he was in that one movie with Dennis Quaid that was okay. Something to talk about? I no, have no, no uh, idea. Uh, like... Where he? So he is like um, an upstart, like corporate manager guy who takes oh, over yes, that's right. Dennis Quaid's like office and then falls in love with Scarlett Johansson who's Dennis Quaid's daughter. I think that that's an okay film. Yeah, yeah it's maybe good. that's all right. He, yeah, he's good. kind of the guy you hire when when you've got a mediocre script and well, you, you want to make it a little worse. You want a smarmy white guy. Topher Grace was the guy that's you called point. for a little while there, which is why he was cast as Venom in Spider-Man 3, but that didn't really work. And I think that kind of killed his career as a Hollywood guy. Don't you think he's wrong for this role in the tat in this Tad Hamilton movie? I have no memory okay. of this Tad no Hamilton recollection movie, so whatsoever. I tell you. But you have but, enough of a memory to have gotten it right. I mean, you know. <sighs> there you go. You win. It is that time of year. It is tuxedo season. The 2022 has wrapped up and 2023 is a new. When you're listening to this, we'll be a little further into the year, but we're still saying Happy New Year probably, or at least we're not that far from it. That's right. It wouldn't be too weird. And so we're going to hit you with our top 10 list. And I'm going to start us out. This is top 10 of 2022. Okay. I'm going to start us out by first of all saying there are a lot of blind spots for me. Sure. So let let me just get that out of the way. I have not yet seen Tar. Very controversial, though, because a good friend of mine, Candace Murdoch, uh-huh. has said she was looking forward to this film. It checked so many boxes for her, but she was very offended by it. And re- very recently, we've had some reviewers come out and say this film is anti-woman. I don't. I can't speak to that. I can't even go there. I'm not going to try to go there because I haven't seen the film. So let me see that. It could hit a best of list. It could be controversial for me. I'm not sure. But I'm just saying it's a blind spot. As is men. I never caught men. That wouldn't be on your top 10. You don't think? No. I haven't seen Close and I haven't seen women talking. I I have not seen Close. I would love to see that. And I, but I have seen those others. Okay. So I'm going to go here with a number 10 that's going to surprise you a little bit. And okay. it kind of surprised me that it made the list. And I, again, once I've seen some other stuff, my guess is this little sucker is going to get booted. But I really enjoyed Emily the Criminal. Yeah, it's it's all right. You know, it's not a bad one. Um, I would not be on my top 10, but a, a good little indie crime thriller. It was fun. I had a great time. Yeah. And, and rarely do I stumble upon something so to speak that hadn't come with a lot of you know preconceived reviews that i just thought this is a this is really good and fun and i enjoyed it more than i thought i would so i think it deserves a spot on the list until something else comes along that i haven't caught anyway what's your number 10 my number 10 is the return of a master filmmaker and uh in a movie that Lived up to my lofty expectations. Uh, it's David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future. Yeah. 
um, which is wonderful and melancholy and disgusting and kind of darkly hilarious and features a maniacally horny performance from Kristen Stewart. Yes, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, so go back and listen to that discussion that Corey had about that film. Great film. My number nine is one that we've also talked about on the podcast, The Northman. Another really good one, a strong movie. I like Robert Eggers a lot. You know, we did, um, what was it, episode 200 in the style of The Lighthouse. Yeah, and I think that you didn't like this film as much as I did. I didn't. But but you liked it okay. I I mean, we didn't fight it, did we? Liked it quite a bit, but it's, you know, not not a perfect film for me. It's got some some things that I don't care for in it, but it it falls at number 37 on my list. So, you know, respectable. I saw a lot of movies last year, so 37 you. is pretty high. Well, I thought The Northman was really brutal in the best <clears> way, and yeah. I appreciated its dedication as the director is so known for, and I had a great time at the movies. Um, great Nicole Kidman role. And a great – uh, yeah, she's she's really – She's great. She's MVP on that sucker in yeah, my opinion. I agree too. My number nine is Everything Everywhere All at Once. Ooh, that slid down the list for you. It Let me go ahead and call it did. out. That was your it number one for, for a while. slid down the list for, uh, you know, I just saw more movies. Uh, I love yeah, this gotcha. movie. Um, I love the performances in this movie. I love the creativity and imagination of this movie. Um, and that's why it's in my top ten. Not near the top, unfortunately, but hey, them's the breaks. Great film, though. Much discussed on this podcast and in the Birmingham area in general because, of course, co-writer, co-director Daniel Scheinert is not only a local boy but a friend of Sidewalk. So shout out to them, uh, to him and his uh, directing partner, Daniel Kwan, for making a really, really fantastic, beloved film. Well, my number eight is Halloween Ends. Hey, not on my list, but I don't hate it. You're not mad. I'm not mad at all because Halloween Ends, unfairly maligned movie this year. Really fantastic. I had a great time. I don't care what anybody says. I know this is one is a controversial one for some folks, but damn it, I I thought it was a lot of fun and I thought there was plenty of Michael and, you know, there was enough. If you didn't see enough Michael M., go back and watch the first one again. That's what it's there for. This is a great freaking film. My number eight is Terrence Davies' Benediction. This is kind of an underseen movie. I've talked about it off and on throughout 2022. I saw it for the first time, actually, in 2021 at the online version of the Toronto Film Festival. Davies is one of my favorite directors uh, who makes these very quiet, deeply sad, but very literate movies. His movie prior to this was the Emily Dickinson movie, A Quiet Passion. This stars Jack Loudon as the um, British poet Siegfried Sassoon, who was a gay World War I veteran who wrote about his experiences um, in war and tried to draw attention to the psychological toll of war. Um, and this is a movie that that sort of charts his life after the war and his attempts to sort of fit in the sort of gay British high society circle. Um, and it ends in a very kind of sad, dismaying place. But um, Davies's films are really brilliant, sometimes difficult to watch, but, but wonderful, melancholy, beautiful experiences. And I love this movie. 
Well, my number seven, I'm going to have you correct me here in a second because I'm going to screw the title up. But it is one that I am as surprised as anybody else that it hit the list because I was literally mocking the silliness of the poster and uh, things that I, I thought wrongly about this film. And that is that my number seven is The Banshees of Inshirin. Inshirin? Inshirin. Inshirin. See what I, happens I when you see movies, folks. That, Oh. They can change oh. your mind. You really think I'm going to change can, my fucking they can mind change about your mind Avatar? When you see him. Shut the fuck up. I'm just, I'm just saying. Shut the I'm fuck just up. Saying. I'm just saying. What's your number seven? <laughs> my number seven is Brett Morgan's Moon Age Daydream, yeah, 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 which yeah, is yeah. one of the most fun theatrical experiences I had all year, sitting at the sidewalk cinema, just smack in the center in the third row, and just letting that multimedia... Uh, experiential David Bowie documentary wash over me. A hundred percent. You know what? It holds up at home too. Yeah. Good to know. Yep. Well, my number six is a beautiful, quiet, little sleeper of a film that I thought was so delicate and special, and that is Petite Mama. Oh, yeah. I love this movie. This is Celine Sciamma's follow-up to Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um and it's not on my list because I it was on my 2021 list, but I I understand. I, I that, adore yeah. this movie so much too. Um, we screened it at the cinema around Mother's Day. It's a perfect Mother's Day movie. Um, uh, really delicate, lovely little story of mothers and daughters, but told in a different way than you might be expecting. And I, it's the best. I love it. It's strange and it's beautiful, and it's a it's also incredibly efficient. Yep. It's like 82 minutes long I mean, it's or something. Nuts, yeah. And it packs, turns out you can make a film that really works and is really special in less than 90 minutes. Packs so much beauty and emotion into that runtime. Just an excellent film. Another excellent film is my number six from Park Chan-wook, It's Decision to Leave. Yeah. His uh, vertigo-inspired, psychological, erotic, thriller-ish sort of thing. And psychological is used with an ish and erotic is used with an ish because nobody takes their clothes off in this thing. Thing, right. Even a little bit. Um, it's a South Korean police procedural where a detective um, kind of becomes besotted with a woman whose husband has just died in a rock climbing accident. But was it an accident? Does this woman have uh, the hidden capacity for murder? Well, it's a very windy, twisty story. You eventually find out the answer to that, and then some, and it goes into so many directions that are difficult to anticipate. Park Chan-wook is the director of Old Boy yeah. and uh, Stoker, starring the aforementioned Nicole Kidman, um, and The Handmaiden from uh, 2018 or so. All of those are movies I love. But Decision to Leave, Catch Me on the Right Day might be my favorite Park Chan-wook movie. And I, nice. I think I adore it. It's fantastic. Well, my number five is one you've already mentioned. And it's one that while Top Gun Maverick might have brought everybody's ass back to the cinema, this film actually should have brought your ass back to the cinema if you missed it. Granted, I am hearing from Corey that an at-home experience is just... Well, it, it holds up, but it certainly wasn't the same. Certainly not. One of the best experiences I've had at the movies ever in my entire life. It is equivalent to doing drugs. And then I say that in a, in a good trippy kind of way, and that is Moon Age Daydream. It is a brilliant, brilliant film, and yep. it is to be experienced, not just to be watched. Uh I wonder if that's the only movie we're going to have in common on uh, maybe, top 10, maybe. which is wild, but what a special one uh, to, that should tell you to something. share. Yeah, I mean, uh, true, uh, a true experience. Um, For sure. And if you missed it on the big screen, 
you fucked up. What can I tell yeah. you? Because it well, was. Well, we'll bring it back at some point because it's special. It's we've really got special. To. It's so much. It's so beautiful and so much fun, especially if you. I mean, if you're a Bowie fan, this is a no brainer, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you you got to check it out. But oh uh, boy, what a movie! Uh, my number five is James Gray's Armageddon Time, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. first uh, sort of autobiographical right. movie on this list. It won't be the last. Spoiler Shocker. alert. Um, this is James Gray's very kind of harsh lesson about privilege and racism and assimilation in 1980 Queens, New York, um, and to hammer home the message, of course, it features cameos from members of the Trump family, which James Gray actually encountered during his childhood. Um, This thing is a really special movie that I don't think got its due at the box office or with critics or with awards bodies, but um, James Gray is one of those filmmakers I love. I will make a point to see everything he does, and this one is just another excellent film from him. In a string of them, when are people going to see this guy's movies and give him the attention he deserves? Not with Armageddon time, unfortunately, but you have an opportunity to catch up with it now. So see it if you haven't. Well, my number four is one I've talked about a lot, so I'll say very few words, but it is an incredible film. It is a very special film, and it is a Disney film. It is Miha. Yeah, Miha. We showed it at Sidewalk at the festival this past year at a really wonderful screening at the Alabama Theater. I like it a lot. Yeah. I like it a lot. And it stuck with me, and it's a great documentary, and I don't think it's gotten the credit that it deserves, even with that Disney stamp on it. Great documentary that feels a lot like a narrative, and I think that's some people's complaint, but not mine. And it's on Disney Plus, so if you've missed it, catch up with it. Now, you probably subscribe to Disney Plus, so see it. My number four is also a documentary, and it was one that I was going to talk about during the What We're Watching segment, but I thought I'd save my discussion of it for this. I think I know what this is going to be. Laura Poitras' All the Beauty and the Bloodshed. Nice. uh, Which might be... One of the most powerful documentaries I have ever seen. Okay, well, let me just jump in here real quick and okay. say this might be a blind spot for me because it's one that I forgot to list. I haven't seen it yet. I'm going to see it Thursday night. So you might see this make my list um, because I've heard wonderful things and I am excited. And I mean, we together decided to program this. So I've been excited about yes. it. Can't wait. Perhaps a blind spot. Sorry. Uh, well, it's extraordinary. I think you're going to dig it. Um, it is a, a portrait of. The photographer Nan Golden, um, and it sort of charts her career, culminating in her activism against the Sackler family. Sorry. Bless you. They did that to you, by the way. That that was all by design that that happened to you. They're trying to shut him up. Now, um, so the Sacklers are the family responsible for flooding the market with Oxycontin and getting hundreds of thousands of Americans addicted to opioids. Um, resulting in you know the the current opioid epidemic uh, and the epidemic of addiction that has ruined so many lives and 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 destroyed so many families. Nan Golden uh, took it upon herself as an established artist to protest art museums yeah. around the world that have accepted money from the Sacklers and placed their names on wings and galleries. Um, and and other places in their museums. Um, putting herself at risk. Putting herself at risk, not only as an artist, but as we see throughout the course of the documentary, the Sacklers are vindictive. Um, and they I mean, hire people to follow here. you. Uh, 
Yeah, they just made me sneeze. Um, no, it's an extraordinary documentary. It's an epic documentary yeah, yeah, yeah. that spans an entire life that gives you so much access to an artist's uh, conception of the world and her work, but also her activism. And it really is, I think, uh, Laura Poitras's crowning achievement. And now cool. she's a, a wonderful documentarian, uh, an Oscar-winning documentarian, yeah, yeah, the yeah. director of Citizen Four, among many other great films. This and many is, to come, I hope. Uh, many to come, I hope so, too. This is her best film to date. Cool. Well, number three, get ready to get pissed. You're going to be mad because my number three is bodies, bodies, bodies. I'm not mad, but of course I don't agree. It's a great film. Had so much fun. Loved this damn thing. It stuck with me. It's super watchable. I. What else can I say? I've talked about it a good bit on the podcast, so I will shut up. But it is up there at number three, bitch. Well... I'm glad for you. <laughs> I'm glad for myself. Uh, my number three is something I'm very glad about as well. It's Charlotte Wells' After Sun. We talked yeah. about it on yeah, a, a yeah. recent episode. I, I love this movie. Not mad at you. A delicate, beautiful um, little look at the bond between a father and daughter as it faces sort of the phrase of her adolescence and, and his – uh, struggles with mental health and depression over the course of a week-long vacation in Turkey. Of course, this is intercut with an adult version of the young girl character looking back. Um, and, and we gradually come to understand that this is a memory piece and that she's piecing together sort of fragments of her memory and of old digital video footage for a reason. Um, beautiful, beautiful movie. Good. My number two, as Corey is being struck yet again. Good Lord. My number two is a very quiet, very fucked up, provocative, also sleepy, uh, or at least a bit of a sleeper, textured film that we screened at the Sidewalk Film Festival this year called God's Creatures. Ooh, this is a surprise. Is it? Also starring After Sun star Paul Mescal. Yes, it is. Uh, and the great Emily Watson. This uh, this film is a is a bit of a sneak up and punch you. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Um, I don't love it as much as I love the previous film from these filmmakers, The Fits, which also played it. Okay, at I love it so much more. Oh wow. Okay. Well, um, I think yeah. this is a nasty little film, and I mean that in the best way. It's it's real brutal, and it stars your girl uh, Isling Fran- Franciosi from the the Nightingale. Yeah. So, so far, she can't do shit wrong. She's uh, well, she's willing to step her toes into some pretty difficult territory. Exactly. Um, so good for her. I mean, a great young emerging actress there, and Paul Mescal, who's been everywhere. Um, well, in God's Creatures and After Sun, and now he's getting cast in bigger yeah. projects. Good for him. He's a, great. A, a, a star in the making. Um, and man, what what a what a performance that is in God's Creatures too. This is a hard film. I think that's part of why it hasn't done that well. It doesn't make for a fun time at the movies like like my number three did. It makes for a very difficult time at the movies, and I don't think everybody's ready to deal with that kind of thing. But it, I think it's actually a really important film because it deals with some very relevant issues. Yeah. And, uh, and some, it's it's provocative and, yeah. and thorny and not not didactic. You know, it's not wagging its no. finger at you. It's just you know, it's it's an examination of some characters making some at some some points pretty difficult to understand decisions. And it really leaves a lot 
on the audience to put together, which I think is also a problem in mm-hmm. today's world. I highly recommend that everybody see God's Creatures. It should have done much better than it did. Well, the, how you have described your number two film is how I would describe my number one film, but we'll get to that in a minute okay. because my number two film is Steven Spielberg's lovely The Fablemans. Yeah. Um, no surprise here. No, I'm a Spielberg guy. Um, the king stays the king. The master stays the master. There, there are compositions and shots in this movie that are so effortlessly elegant, and yet working with uh, Angels in America playwright Tony Kushner, his yeah. frequent collaborator on the screenplay of this thing, um, it is so much more complicated a movie than you would expect going into it, which I said in a previous episode. Sure. Um, there's a lot going on under the surface in this movie. And it features, of course, the great Michelle Williams, the great Paul Dano, and a wonderful breakthrough performance from a young actor named Gabriel LaBelle, who is playing the Spielberg um, figure at the center Baby of the story. Baby Spielberg. Um, it, it, it's autobiography, sure, but such a a wonderfully, again, textured story um, and features, for my money, one of the greatest final scenes of the year featuring in a cameo performance um, another one of my favorite filmmakers of all time doing a rare performance for him, Mr. David Lynch, uh, showing up as one of my other favorite filmmakers, John Ford. Um, yeah, cool. That's such cool ending. casting. That's so stunt casting, but we'll take it. Brilliant casting, um, and the rest of the movie is amazing too. Can't can't complain about the Fablemans. Of course, you already know what my number one is going to be. I'm curious to hear your number one. Though. Oh, you're not going to like it. My number one is something that you're going to be almost as mad as you are about my number three. I'm okay. going to give you a little hint. <clears throat> Triangle of Sadness. Triangle of Sadness. I'm not, I'm not that mad about it. This is, this is unlike Bodies, 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 a movie that I like. I don't love it, I gotcha. but I like it. Um, and of course, it won the Palm d'Or, so it has many fans out there. Not my number one, but I'm not mad about it. So why is this your favorite movie? Well, uh, for a number of reasons. I've, I think it's really smart. I know that's one of the arguments we had, but uh-huh. I love the subtext here. I love I love what's at stake. I love the uniqueness of the structure. It it's a unique structure that I that that I think is ambitious, but I also think actually works. It feels different and it actually shares something with a lot of other films on my list, which is that I don't know where the hell this thing is going to end. I don't know how it's there's certain points when I'm like I can't wait to see what's going to happen next. Sure. I was really surprised. I like the the sort of what it does to our expectations of narrative it it doesn't it has a lot of things going for it in my opinion that other things on my list have but maybe not all films are checking all of these boxes if that makes sense and unlike god's creatures it's got a little fun in there too yeah i mean the 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 central set piece uh, the 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 vomitorium (laughs) yeah aboard this luxury yacht is um, sustained lunacy uh, of the sort that you don't see in too many other films this year. It is hilarious. Um, so I get it. Yeah, it made me – very few films make me jump up and down. And that was actually a, a gauge for a long time at the festival was I wanted at least a film or two that made me jump up and down on my couch. Uh-huh. This is one of those. God's Creatures makes me sink down into my sure, seat sure. <laughs> in, in a really horrific way, but that's also important. But this one had me on my feet. Uh, I really, really love it. I get – I don't – not always in support of a huge standing ovation, but I get at least 30 seconds of the standing ovation that it got. I'm there with them. So that's my number one. What's yours? 
Todd Field's Tar. Uh-oh. I'm going to have to tell it to Candace. My number one film of the year. Um, I Look, I hear that criticism. Yeah. I'm curious. I would be curious to hear more about it. Sure. Um, it's obviously playing in provocative territory. Kate Blanchett's Lydia Tarr is a world-renowned conductor um, who is at the height of her career when she is, well, taken down by – uh, sexual misconduct allegations um, mm-hmm. against young women over whom she has had uh, power in her role as a world famous conductor. Um, there goes the issues, right? I mean, look, it's it's playing with dynamite, right? Yeah. Um, immediately, you know this, but but it's not really a movie about cancel culture. It's not really even a movie about sexual misconduct. It's a movie about power. It's a movie about what happens okay. when power is taken away from someone, and especially someone who has constructed an entire mythology around themselves to boost their position. What happens when that, that mythos is chipped away? What happens when their humanity is laid bare? Um, and it's a, a staggering uh, character study, a, a staggering Kate Blanchett performance, which, I've, of course, I've talked about over and over again, and a really provocative and interesting and ambiguous story you know where talk about a movie where you don't know where it's yeah. going to end yeah, yeah, yeah. this is one such movie because if i described to you the ending of this movie i don't, don't do think it. you would believe me don't do it um but but it is it is directed with the control and um intelligence of a master filmmaker todd field of course only making his third film with this but he is a Kubrick acolyte, given that he played Nick Nightingale, the piano player in Eyes Wide Shut. Well, this seems mm-hmm. to be his hat tip to Mr. Kubrick. Um, and also a, a, a just staggeringly dense attempt to reckon with so much of what contemporary conversation has struggled to discuss with any nuance over the past five years years or so, right, since the beginning of the Me Too movement. I mean, obviously, it's a provocation to make a even a, a somewhat, you know, peripherally Me Too movie about a female central character. And, and a dude doing it, that is tricky, tricky territory. So I am, I'm, look, I'm intrigued. I've been intrigued. I want to see this thing. I, I've had trouble getting to the cinema to see it, which is sure. a bummer because that's when I really should have seen it. But now I'm just like, when can I find three and a half hours that I really want my undivided attention on the screen and clear off the time and do it? I'm going to do it. And then I am looking forward to having a conversation. Yeah. With you I mean, it. it is, it is to, at the very least, in an environment where so much cinema is designed to be disposable streaming right, entertainment right. you play in the background while you're folding your laundry, Tar is designed to provoke conversation. It is designed to you know, provoke its audience with its ambiguities, with its mysteries, with – you know, again, this towering central performance from Kate Blanchett. Right. There is so much about this movie that is worthy of discussion, even if you don't like it. And I do think there's a possibility that you won't. But even if you don't like it, I think you would have to acknowledge, you know, some uh, – so you'd have to give it points for ambition. 
You'd have to give it points for not being, again, a movie that is just designed to be tossed off and and regarded, you know, half-heartedly. We'll see. This is one I won't fight you about without having seen it. Yeah, well, that's good. (laughs) That's good. Um, Unless, of course, I watch the trailer again and all of a sudden there are blue animated characters. Well, you never know. And then I'm going to... I mean, say fuck that. You know, I saw in in, in the news the other day that the uh, a female conductor named Marin Alsop came out and she said she was offended by the movie. Yeah, that's what that's part. That's one um, of the uh, items I'm mentioning. And yes. she's she's name checked in the movie. You know, the, right. the character of Lydia Tarr is a fictional character, but but perhaps some elements of Marin Alsop's life story have been integrated into the to the character. I don't know enough to sort of speak to that, um, but it is very steeped in the modern world of classical music, um, and there are only so many female conductors Obviously, in the world yeah. um, that that sort of playing in that territory. You're you're going to hearken to some real life figures. Uh, my wife is a professional musician, and she worried about you know the density of the music stuff in this movie, and it is very dense, um, and it, it might be inaccessible to some degree. I, I don't really put much stock into that because I was so wrapped up in the world, mm-hmm. even if it's a world that I don't really understand or know anything about, that I just took the ride. And I think that's kind of what you have to do with Tar. Otherwise, I think you're going to get lost in the – in the in the trees a little bit there well we'll see we'll see and there we go that's your number one my number one being triangle of sadness and my list may change your list probably will not well i still have a lot of movies i want to see yeah uh, i missed the inspection you've seen almost 90 percent of the films that came I, out I would say i've seen almost 90 percent, but I, I missed the inspection <laughs> i missed eo i missed all that yeah breathes. eo is one that i need to make a note about right now um, too obviously getting some really great wrecks yeah need to see that too that's could be a blind spot. Um, and um, oh, a couple others that just haven't gotten okay. a release beyond qualifying, like Sonomare, the Alice Diop courtroom drama. I really so, want to see that. list could change, but as it stands, and it's time to make the list, those are our top picks for 2022. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Side Talks. We're your own personal cinematic Aunt Jemima pancake on the go and Jimmy Dean blueberry pancake and sausage on a stick. Oh, on a stick. Yeah, on a stick. But what's the pancake to go? Okay. Is it just like a microwave thing? On On the little cup. Oh, no. It says, just add water. Enjoy a warm, fluffy pancake from a cup. And the photo that's on the package looks like you're just eating the pancake dough almost, Mm. the batter, Mm. if you will. But, oh, I don't know, a Jimmy Dean blueberry pancake and sausage on a stick, that also sounds disgusting. And by the way, I went ahead just so you could have the information you need to make a decision about which one you want to be. And I grabbed a handful of Amazon reviews. My favorite review is, good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, that's an endorsement. And then there was, I wouldn't recommend these, and I'm reading it word for word. I wouldn't recommend these to anyone unless you like the really sweet extra artificial flavor that the pancake part brings to the table. And I appreciated the brings to the table. And then there was one review that just said, buy these, which was another favorite. All right. And here we have a much longer one. The pancake tasted mushy, and it was kind of like slimy texture in the inside. Oh, gross. Yeah. The sausage was fine, but for the whole thing to be wrapped in the nasty pancake, 
dot, dot, dot. Uh. Then we have, love these, I know not healthy, but it really is nowadays, which is also one of my favorites. I mean, there's no way to get healthy food anywhere, so might as well eat a pancake on a stick with a sausage on it. I mean, it couldn't possibly make you sneeze. No, I wouldn't think so. But anyway, uh, that's the reviews. There were 55 actual written out reviews, and there are 3,461 ratings. Well, I'll take the sausage one since you're a vegetarian. How about that? I think that's very fair. Plus, I do not want to be a sausage on a stick. (laughs) That sounds sick. Um, I can't help but be a sausage on a stick. Oh, man. Am I right, folks? Let's just go ahead and get the dick jar out one last time. Anyway, I don't feel great about being a pancake that you just add water to. No, that sounds bad. And then eat from a cup, but, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, thanks to Batwell Studios. Uh, yeah, thanks, Brad. Sorry we're wacky and And, and running long today. My apologies. Cool. This is a... Well, we had to get through an entire top Super-sized podcast. Sidewalkfest.com or at Sidewalk Film on social media. Come see a movie with us at the cinema. Bye. Bye. We'll be brief next time. Batwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words... Our expertise.